Hi there, and welcome to session three of our lead generation. Um, what are we even calling this? This is our leadership generation challenge. And why we're doing this series, this is Christine Nielsen, aka Coach C. And why we're doing this podcast series right now is for the first time ever, we are seeing a new phenomena in the workplace. And what that phenomena is, is four generations of employees, leaders, and um, business owners inside the workplace. So you're seeing people who are the boomer generation, anywhere um, from, well, we'll talk about the eras, and we've already talked about that before, but let's just say around 1964, uh, you have Gen Xs, you have millennials, and you have the new up and coming, just getting out of university in the last four or five years, um, Gen Zs. And that four generations is creating a whole kind of, um, how do you work together? How do you lead? What values do businesses, do leaders, what do they drive for? What do they strive for? And today we have a really special guest who's joining us, um, who's been in business for a couple of years now. And uh, we're really excited to have Mr. Carson O'Neill join us today. Uh, Carson is of the boomer generation. He has spent over 20 years of his career in being a CEO, uh, both in the packaged goods industry for Koala. He worked for very many years as a senior VP of uh, Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceuticals, um, as well as he was a CEO for an environmentally packaged um, product services goods. Uh, so Carson's going to tell us a little bit about his career. An interesting phenomena, though, um, several years ago, Carson decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. So not only has he been a CEO and led companies and led um, people in organizations, he's also an entrepreneur and helps other companies grow or sell and buy, and he'll tell us a little bit about that as well. So welcome to the show, Carson. We're so grateful to have you on today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, Christine. I'm delighted to be here. I guess one of the interesting things about about my background is I've worked big in multinational corporations, uh, which tend to have a lot of uh, a lot of resources in terms of managing people. You've got HR, you've got uh, outside consultants, motivating the team. All those things are very important. Yes. And then when you move to the private sector, the privately owned sector, where I do a lot of my work today. Um, those sorts of things are more dependent on the owners finding their own way. Mm -hmm. You don't have that kind of expertise at your available because these are companies that often have under 100 employees. Yes. Uh, notwithstanding, they are the heartthrob in the North American economy, as will become apparent in the next few years. So. Yeah. Uh, you said something really interesting about that, actually. Um, you, statistically, you said that 90% uh, of the jobs today are actually generated by companies that have 100 or less employees. Correct. I found that a, fina a fascinating stat. Correct. Over the last 10 years, 90, 92% of yeah. the jobs in Canada right. have been generated by medium-sized businesses uh, that have under 99 employees. Wow. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, while the attention and the media attention may go to as we would have at you know large multinationals because they tend to be front page news. Um, the actual jobs are in the privately held medium sector where a lot of of these new workers prefer to work. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is uh, they can relate more with the the values and the mission of a smaller company. Yeah. And I think with uh, probably moving from Gen X onward, 
um, the importance of identifying with what you do yeah. as opposed to just having a job where you can make a living um, increases in importance. Yeah, I, I come across that a lot. And, you know, often when we're coaching and consulting clients, if it's not tied to your personal why, your personal what gets you up in the morning, what motivates you, then you're probably not doing what you love. Yeah. And it's most people won't sustain that for very long. There are a lot of people who are comfortable. There are a lot of people who are in a comfort zone and they're good with that. Mm-hmm. But for the majority of people, they want to know that their lives matter, that they make a difference. And yeah. I think I talked about this last week as well. But when you say that and you say like, how is it that a mid-sized company can ingrain their mission, their vision into their organization and get people kind of all moving in that direction? So is there, is there a trick? I don't think it's a trick. Um, I have some colleagues with extremely successful privately held businesses that do business all over the world that they've, that they've built themselves. And one of their basic principles is to treat people as you would like to be treated yourselves. Yeah. So the, the typical, they don't act like owners. Um, they don't act above and beyond the employees. They will reach down um, and, and actually relate and work with the people at the most junior level um, in, a, in a collaborative way. Yes. Not a I am the boss way. Yes. And those companies have done great things yep. um, because people think we want to build the company. We, we want, I call it share of heart. We, we want to do what's right for the company because we're, we relate to what the company's trying to do, not just have a job. Now, this helps if the company has good products and services, um, ethical business practices. I mean, it, it, there's much more to it yes. than, than just treating people. It's what the company does, again, which is a responsibility of the owners. And you know, Carson, I don't think um, you've been in business a long time, but I don't think that premise is new. I don't think that all of a sudden we had a generation of millennials or Gen Zs or Gen Xs come in and that's the new premise. I really think that that has been the underlying phenomenon for you know business owners, business leaders, and employees for a very, very long time. I agree. You, know, you look at Jack Welsh and uh, GE. When mm-hmm. I worked um, years and years ago with that company mm-hmm. uh, as a consultant to them, it was very much, you know, all across generations. It didn't matter whether you, what part of the organization you were in, that was kind of fundamental, right? right? right. Is finding your voice and being willing to speak it. Mm -hmm. And so you've been in business um, just a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. One or two. (laughs) One or two. Mm -hmm. And what would you say is uh, changing today that may not have existed 15 years ago? Um, what would you say the different drivers might be? Is it in the technology? What would you say that would look like? I think one thing is due in part to technology is decisions have to be made much faster. Yeah. So the speed of business and the change in marketplace in almost any business has increased dramatically. So let's say 15 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, companies could ponder and, and go through and assess and, and, and test and experiment and delay and monitor the marketplace. Um, and they typically had time to go through that decision. And while you don't want to make a hasty decision, due in part to technology 
and avail and and global economy, mm-hmm. where we're now getting new competitors are are, are showing up around the world, Daily. being able da- being able right uh, online sales. Um, marketplace dynamics can change very quickly, and if businesses aren't on top of it and thinking ahead, uh, they can be eliminated. Yeah, like retailing, for example, entire retail sectors can be eliminated based on the emergence of nothing more than big box stores and online retailers. Yeah, and companies that are caught in between that can't, aren't, if they don't have insulation, can be literally put out of business. Entire distribution channels. Yes. That wasn't happening so much 20 years ago. Right. No, they were still very much building yeah. and, and right. growing. Right. And a lot of right. you saw a lot of rapid growth then right. due to technology. Right. Now right. you're seeing businesses being put out of business due to technology. Right. Right. And right. so there's a big difference. And when you have four generations of leadership, so you have the Gen Zs, you have the Millennials, you have the Xs, mm-hmm. and you have the Boomers. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Boomer generation a little bit in terms of the role that they play as far as the growing economy goes. Because we know that people are not retiring as early as they used to. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, you know, you you actually shared some statistics, I hope you share it again, um, about that in terms of the health and the wellness mm-hmm. of the future of our booming generation. Yeah, so ex- exactly. Um, we have global healthcare companies, so we'll talk just about longevity with boomers and, and them not necessarily retiring, as people think, and working longer, and why. So you have global healthcare organizations have said um, that if somebody's over 50 and in good health, the chances of them reaching their, they've got a 50% chance of reaching their 100th birthday and leading active lives in their 80s and 90s. With the virtual elimination of defined pension plans, a lot of people need to keep working. Like they yeah. can't retire the way the previous generation did at the typical retirement age of 65. Well, it, you know, you touched on that, and, and I think it's such a good point because I remember, you know, my grandfather retired at 65 and died at 67. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My dad retired at 55 and died at 61. Mm-hmm. So the longevity, and, and they're not, you know, my, my dad would have been, this would have been his 69th year, right? right? right. So it's, it's interesting because there, there seems to be a phenomena of when people do retire, mm-hmm. their future seems to disappear on them and they go through things. Right. So often what you said is, you know, people go back into business, even if they do retire, let's say at the age of 60, 65, they end up coming back. Right. You had a great story about that. Right. So we'll now segue a little bit into what's happening in the, in the private sector because we talked about the growth. Um, this is BDC information where 40% of the owners of privately held businesses say they're going to sell their business in the next five years to retire. Right. 40%. To an outside people, they need the money to, to retire, retire. To retire. Yeah. The business is worth millions. Um, many of these people, and it's not bad, have only a few hundred thousand dollars to retire in their retirement savings plans. Right. Um, that's not surprising. Um, one of the reasons is the business has taken up all their money right. to continue to be recapitalized. Yeah, they the capital. Exactly. Um, you'd think, well, the people that are going to be buying the businesses are going to be younger people. And that's not actually the case um, because the younger people often don't have the money except for a small minority stake. Mm-hmm. So I actually have situations in my divestiture business that happen often where the buyers are older than the sellers. Yeah. I recently had a situation, I think it's probably worth bringing up, where the owners of a business, a husband and wife, and it was a multi-million dollar transaction, were both 50. 
Um, they needed to retire. They were emotionally uh, burned out from the business from 25 years. And uh, the chap that bought it was 55. And so he was five years older. Uh, and this was a couple of years ago when he built it up and expanded it. And so it's not surprising that that boomers who have the wealth generation, mm-hmm. um, because you're, you know, you're, you're younger and boomers now are now 55 or whatever, yeah. right? Built yeah. born in 64, yeah. right? Are, they have the wealth to buy these companies, to build it up. You yeah. need the buyer with the money. So you say, well, gee, somebody 35 is going to, is, you know, it's going to be a, a Gen Xer is going to, is going to uh, uh, buy the company, perhaps as a minority player. So it's almost reverse. Yeah. So as corporate um, life makes people, um, tends to get rid of people younger anyway. Yes. Uh, for actuarial reasons. Right. Right. Uh, the private sector is going to be thriving by boomer uh, dollars being invested into businesses from other boomers. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. That's a, that's a, <laughs> not, it does. It's a really, it's a fantastic push because the majority of people are under the, the misperception or the misconception right. that... People who are entrepreneurs and buying businesses are, you know, in their late 20s and early 30s. Actually, mm-hmm. for most startups, the majority of owners are above the age of 40. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, so they've either spent time in right. a corporate world or mm-hmm. working for other people, mm-hmm. and then they've pivoted out after making a certain level of income mm-hmm. and wealth into becoming an entrepreneur or buying a business that is already kind of right. in existence. Or starting a business. Starting a business. Exactly. And you're seeing that more and more as a trend, which is pointing back to your first point which was, you know, 92% of employment coming from mid-sized companies under 100 employees. That's right. Right? So you're seeing this whole kind of wave and push. And I think it creates a really interesting dynamic in how we lead. Because if you have um, a boomer of 55, 60, 65 who's bought the company, Mm -hmm. and then the employees that are actually running the company and Mm -hmm. employed in the company are maybe 30 35, there may be some differences in their value sets or how they view things. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the important thing is to be able to communicate because the the chances are, um, unless the boomer has a a, a technical background and is kept up, that the the, the 30-year-old that's coming behind them um, will be infinitely more uh, computer and technically literate than they will be. Mm-hmm. And that technology and understanding of that technology is going to be key to driving the business. And so the boomer has to be able to relate to these things yeah. within their own organization, not necessarily with just with service providers. Mm-hmm. Right. So you need to say, well... Um, the the uh, you know I ha- I had a situation a friend of mine went he had a problem with his phone and he was trying to he went to the to one of the stores and asked for it to be fixed out and he was getting all mixed up to cut up his laptop and his phone and uh, not facetiously the chap in the store said you have anybody in your house under thirty and uh, he said well yes you know my my son he said well go home they they won't be confused by this right right. Because it's normal. You get your son to... Right. So... My mom is often handing me her phone. <laughs> so coming back to the question, um, the even if, if it relates to the boomers who might be saying running the business at age 60. Yeah. Right? Um, their business has changed because they will require... They're going to have to compete. Mm-hmm. To, sorry. They're going to have to effectively use technology to drive that business in a way that they didn't have, have to use the way they built the business. Yeah. And so... 
their, the people, not just their IT department, but their entire organization, the salespeople, the production people, the production planning people, mm-hmm. the web, the communications, yeah. uh, has completely changed. Um, for many years, uh, television in North America was the king as far as media. Yep. Um, when I was in corporate life, uh, we everything, all the spending, all the big spending was on TV, and print and radio were secondary. Direct marketing was 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 almost unheard of. Um, most of the spending in North America was millions of the national media, uh, as measured, was in, in television and everything that entailed. Um, that's not the case anymore. No. And as, as uh, the sales and communication go online and you have direct customer assets, it changes businesses. So marketing is much more affordable yeah. for medium businesses. You don't have to have a TV budget. And you have to understand what you're doing. Yes. You also have more direct customer access, which holds businesses more accountable. If businesses can't get over, I'm talking traditional businesses yeah. now, these older traditional businesses, if they can't adjust to this, um, that's a risk to their business. Yes. Right. So there's an important, there's, what they have to do is relate to the, the very least Gen X yeah. and, and probably beyond. Yeah. Right, because it keeps changing, um, and get them engaged in what the business is attempting to accomplish, being able to communicate, right? Because mm-hmm. they're going to be more reliant on those people to deliver the solutions than, than, the, than the previous generation was. Yes, absolutely. And I, I like that you tie that back because what you're seeing now is, you know, I recall days where I worked um, in, earlier in my career working in the mining and the forestry industry, very unionized environments mm-hmm. where the old timers, what they called them then, labeling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily relate to the new guys coming in. The only things that they would actually take them to task on would be safety, mm-hmm. making sure they were safe, right. right? Otherwise, they didn't communicate at all because they didn't have to. Now, that is not the case. They right. really need to find ways to learn from each other and to cross-pollinate. So that experience that, say, a, a Gen X and a, and a boomer has, they can help the millennial and the Gen Zs avoid all of the pitfalls in business mm-hmm. because of the experience and take all that innovation and technology and put those things together. And you have a really extraordinary opportunity to cross, you know, for cross-leadership, for cross-education, for mm-hmm. training, all mm-hmm. of those things, which can make your company that much more robust and fun to go to work at. Still going to come back to people, though. Um, I work in a number of industries, Christine, and I really am everything from service to manufacturing to, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, specialized, uh, specialized to to do some technology. In most cases, uh, the the technology is available to people in the industry. Mm -hmm. It isn't a point of differentiation. No. So you're still back, as cliche-like as it sounds, to being able to harness it, motivate your people, and get the team working together. Yeah. And in the wave of, well, the new technological revolution has changed business, yes. But as a company is attempting to look for sustainable advantage, it's what they do with the technology. Yeah. It's whether their people are working together. Yep. And, and, and collaboratively and linked to the company mission. And so that's often the difference. It, it, so in that regard, people were important in 1970, yeah. and they're they're going to be every bit or more important in 2020. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think it's such a great point. And how do you get the most out mm. of that? And how do you really work inside of an organization that has so many different different uh, visions and, and leadership styles? I think the other um, key thing here is, um, you know, when we're engaging leaders, I think the big thing, and, and I just touched on it, was those labels. You know, you said something earlier about, um, people who come back and they're buying businesses and they might be in their mid-60s, 70s, mm-hmm. and those labels of, you know, we're, you're not getting the young up-and-coming entrepreneur buying those businesses. You're getting generational leadership. So you now have the opportunity to, you know, uh, be led by that. But mm-hmm. what happens is the preconceived notion that, uh-oh, this, this kind of person has bought the company or whatever that happens to be. What do you think... Uh, are the opportunities that exist in having an experienced boomer run that company that is filled with Gen Zs and Millennials? Well, the first problem and the most common problem um, that a new owner faces when they're coming in, be it they're a boomer or Gen X, because Gen X, you know, I mean, Gen X people are making money too. I mean, front-end Gen Xers are buying these businesses as well. Yeah. Um, Is they... Attempt to the, the buyers uh, attempt to change things that are already working just because they're the new owner. Mm-hmm. So everything that happens in big companies right. too. So CEOs every, get hired yeah, in. Yeah, they, every, wanna, they want to bring their own people yeah. in and whatnot. So um, often destruct, often um, diminishing the assets that they bought. Mm-hmm. So what? people have to do, and I think it's uh, probably doesn't matter what generation you're from, is when they come in is look at what they really bought, look at the assets of the business, um, slow down because the deal's done, they've already got the business, um, check their ego at the door, and not try to, to, to implement a revolution uh, if they have a vision, but to do it in a, in a gradual way mm-hmm. um, so that you've got good people. Uh, don't make any organizational changes too quickly. Um, I've seen um, new owners, and against my recommendation, uh, just change the name. Well, the, the, you know, I have a company that's doing very well. The, 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 the customer doesn't care what the name of the company is. And if the goodwill isn't, is fine with that old company, don't, don't tamper with that. Yeah. That, that company's been around for a while. You yeah. know, leave the name the same. Well, there's brand equity in that. There's brand equity in that. Um, so what you really should be doing is improving customer service, including mm-hmm. the value proposition, look at being cost competitive, very, very basic things. Mm-hmm. Um, with the new people, I mean, it's, it's not, uh, the younger people, uh, uh, there, there is still, you know, an issue there, uh, as it relates to, I think that, you know, making sure that the owners are making them really not feel, but believe they're important yeah. and they're relevant. Um, and to me, the best way is to work with those people. Yeah. I mean, one of the best uh, um, mentors I had was uh, went on to be president of of of, uh, of a major multinational company. That he was a Canadian president and went to the states, and he would uh, regularly go out and, and work with the with the men and women driving the trucks, mm-hmm. delivering it. Like yeah. he wanted to actually see. And understand the and, and see what was happening when the truck was 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 calling on a C store mm-hmm. and dropping on the back. I mean, he he was right regularly, not just I'm going to come out for an afternoon once a year, right? Which is tokenism. 
Um, and so the, the actual uh, lead by example and not sit there, you know, preaching from the ivory tower yes. um, works. Yes. In any, different, in any different kind of organization. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. I mean, people want to uh, have a sense of um, contribution and belonging and be, you know, whether they're the truck driver mm-hmm. all the way up to uh, mm-hmm. the person who runs all the accounting and finance mm-hmm. for the company mm-hmm. or the person who's trading yeah. for the company. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what their role yeah. is. They want that sense of yeah. purpose. You'll actually get more leverage uh, in a smart business with... Uh, um, you know, by by having the care to uh, reach out to to people in the middle of the organization and lower. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was uh, uh, on the board of Johnson and Johnson mm-hmm. Canada, yep. and this is a which I was for five years, uh, all of the big invitations for trade events and whatnot and sporting events were typically uh, done to the senior uh, the senior VPs of the trade. Mm-hmm. And they had ten invitations for, from all the pharmaceutical companies. It right. didn't matter which one they're going to take. Yep. And rather than do that, I would invite somebody in the middle of the organization. Yes. To the Grey Cup or whatever a playoff that, hockey game yeah. or whatever it would be, and take yeah. them up for dinner. And it would just be well, they nobody invited them to do anything. I mean, they, this was they they couldn't believe it. Like you've got the wrong person. No, 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 it's you, right? And that turned. And I did that for the whole time I was there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to look at, is it relevant if you're trying to, you know, establish a relationship with whom? Exactly. Right. The next yeah. person who's coming right. up and going to leave. Exactly. That doesn't necessarily get that offer. Exactly. You know, I, love, I love that. And you also said something earlier when we were chatting about women in business. And you've seen an evolution. So you made a comment about, you know, in the 70s, uh, you'd read an article uh, about women starting to graduate with an MBA, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you said it said, here come the women. Mm-hmm. And what if, what would you say you've observed about women in business and the leadership now and how that's kind of changed from when you first started leading companies and leading women? Uh, well, we are finally getting it right with regard to choosing the best person. Yes. So um, it was quite, I've seen overreaction on this um, from uh, recruiting on campus when I was doing on campus recruiting for both the multinationals and and the privately held companies, we just said, you know, we've got five jobs. If it's if it's five women, it's five women. If it's five men, it's five men. It's the best people, right? Best people. That was yeah. usually evident, right? Yeah. And we would move up. Um, some companies, you know, for years the women were were uh, clearly not given. Uh, a fair chance. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that was that many of them weren't in the business school and going back, as I mentioned, uh, the MBA schools in, in Canada, the major ones, uh, did not have any MBA um, graduates at all wow. until the mid-70s Yeah, when I when I was starting my career. I mean, it's like incredible. Yeah, when you, I when, can't imagine when, when, when you think of it. Because I mean, that's about, not right. the case today. Exactly. So part of it was women weren't getting an academic background to get into business. Yeah. Um, other um, um, companies will overreact and say, well, we really do need to have women in these positions, so let's force it. Yeah. Uh, that's not right either. No. Uh, because what you're doing is you're not doing them a favor or the company a favor by pushing somebody up the organization because it's seen as being... Uh, a check in the box. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So in, in stepping back, um, and as I said, we're finally getting it right, um, what companies are doing is saying, listen, we're going to promote 
um, and move ahead and develop people equally, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to promote the best people. Um, and uh, as long as that's understood yes. within the organization that you are, um, in fact, not just saying you're an equal opportunity employer, uh, mm-hmm. but, you're, but you're, 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 you're practicing it. Yeah. You're practicing it, right? Yeah. That takes tough decisions. Yeah. Um, and, um, I mean, I remember having a, 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 a chap come to me uh, at one point in his career, and it was the first time in his career he was working for a woman. Mm-hmm. And he was having a bit of trouble with it. Right. I mean, he was just, you know. And I said, well, what, you know, just, I know all this, but, like, what, how is it going? Like, what sort of a, like, never mind your bias, you know, what sort of a, of, of a boss supervisor is she? Yeah. And there was a pause, and he said, terrific. Right. Right. So, but so it didn't fit those perceptions. It didn't no. fit his pictures, and he had to kind of break through. No, that and he and he and he sort of felt that, that maybe he was not doing as well as he should have, mm-hmm. and that his career, which had moved along very well, right. right, was not doing as well as it should have. But he wouldn't have thought that if he would if, if he had been reporting to a man, right? Which is baggage that that yeah, he, that, he, bias that, that, he that he from. that he took from from his parents. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what, you know, that's the work I do, mm-hmm. right, is really having people understand where some of those unconscious biasness play into our daily lives mm-hmm. and where their self-limiting beliefs really, mm-hmm. lim- they, they stop us from being able to create what's available as a leader in an organization. It doesn't matter. And we come with them. We didn't, you know, right. we've grown up with them. You can't right. help it. It's the way human beings are wired. Right. Right. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, you have it. Right. And so I think it's really interesting also, um, when we first, you know, uh, I, first off, I really appreciate you being here today. When we first started talking about this, one of the things we talked about was golf. Mm-hmm. And because you are a, you're a big golfer, you mm-hmm. love golf, and um, there's been a shift in, you know, a lot of relationships that get built Mm-hmm. for organizations and mm-hmm. companies really often happens on the golf course. Whether you're a man or a woman, yes. it often happens in an extracurricular activity right. where you're, you're really talking and you're building that relationship mm-hmm. and that rapport to mm-hmm. be able to do bigger deals. Right. And what have you noticed as a trend in the last several years in terms of just even the game of golf or building that rapport to actually have those relationships kind of more solidified that are outside of the office? What have you noticed? Hmm. Great question. Well, first, I'm not. I'm a pretty keen golfer, but I'm not a very good golfer. So I'm going to admit to you that I typically will have a decent round, at least for me. And then uh, on the 15th or 16th hole, uh, I will, with authority, hit the ball into the water, the woods, <laughs> endanger the wildlife. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then it, it goes downhill from there. Um, interesting. Um, well. There's many reasons to play golf. It's a very frustrating game, and one of the reasons, uh, the traditional view, is that it's always been good to golf, to learn to play golf because you're, um, it's good for business networking. Right. Uh, that is true, uh, and it's also a, go- a game where it's uh, you're visible, you're visibly embarrassed if you're no good. <laughs> so when I first went to my uh, to my instructor, and I learned to play golf late in life, uh, not that I can play it very well at all. Um, I was in my early 40s when I when I took my first golf lesson, and I told my instructor, I said, I, I want to be not embarrassing. I don't care if I'm not very <laughs> my good. My motivation is got, to not be embarrassed on the golf course. Correct, right. Yeah. And so 
in leading into that, um, it's a good thing to know how to play golf for business, regardless of your business, yeah. if you're if you're okay. Um, and uh, it's a it's a it's a little bit at odd because it's not a game that people uh, can learn quickly, and you have to play. Mm-hmm. So the game itself is at odds with the instant gratification society. Yes. So people go, I want to learn to play golf right away, and I'm taking a lesson, and I've taken two lessons, and now why am I terrible? Right. It's not the way it works. And I have an app that monitors my sp- my swing. Correct, correct. Um, and so um, if they didn't learn, like most sports, when they were younger, then that becomes a problem. Um, I think you're going to see a couple of, uh, we're already seeing a couple things in the, in the industry, um, in that, first of all, it's becoming more affordable, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Um, by virtue of clubs. Yeah. Uh, the business being overdeveloped, right, uh, with many clubs. Yeah. I think the unique, private, uh, pricey club uh, will still be around, but not as many of them. Yeah. And I think people, you're going to see people who are going to, um, you know, want to learn to play at what we'll call an acceptable level because it's there's still going to be golf tournaments and things like that. Yes. And they're not going to go away. Whether it's a chamber of commerce, a board of trade, an industry association, they have a golf tournament, that's normally the mixer, yeah. and, and that's not going to disappear overnight. No, it's a good social activity, and yeah. it gets people yeah. um, engaged with each other without yeah. technology. Right. And I think that's also one yeah. of my points, is um, I believe we have somewhat lost the art of engaging each other without our technology. Right. Right? right, and so golf is a game that affords us that. Although some people do still go on the golf course and they're on their devices, so you do still see that. But it's more and more coming, you know, where you're you're putting the phones down and you're engaging with each other. And it, it's funny because I'll use um, the Gen Zs. I had two interns this past summer that were one was a McGill student and one's a uh, Wilfrid Laurier student. Brilliant students, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to meet them yet, but you probably will this year. Um, the, they did not have their technology in their hand all the time. Right. Whereas you saw maybe um, the maybe 27s, 29s, 30s, mm-hmm. always having their device in their hands mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just see maybe a swing or a shift where people are more like, that goes in, the, it stays in the drawer. It goes, it doesn't come to dinner, mm-hmm. you know? But you still see it. Um, socially. Well, and, for sure. Uh, just, just because technology allows us to do it uh, doesn't mean that we should do it. Yes. So I was giving a a speech. I was doing a guest lecturing speech at uh, the Rotman School of Business at the University of Toronto Business School MBA class uh, some years ago. And uh, one of the students uh, came in, and it was a small group, and we were doing an interactive case, right? And we're audience... participation was important and I'd put a fair amount of time into it um, and one of the groups one of the students came in and opened up a laptop and started to work right so I stopped the session and I said uh, would you care to participate in the case that we're all putting our time into or would you like to go and do your work on your laptop yeah right yeah give them the option exactly yeah um one of the problems on your your observation about lack of interaction is that email doesn't have the subtext that we that we need, mm-hmm. uh, or it is text. So if um, and I still like to uh, to the extent that I can meet the people that I'm dealing with, talk to them, 
see their reaction, see the body language, particularly in the transaction work, so I can develop a feel for for who the other party is, because I work with a lot of people that I don't know. So if you write me a note and you say, let's get together for a cup of coffee or we're going to meet to discuss this this next podcast, and I say, I'll, I'll meet you or I, that'll be fine, um, what you're not getting is, am I saying, I'd like to meet you? Yes. That would be, I, I'm looking forward to this, or am I saying... I'll meet you. Yes. Right. So you don't know the right. context or the correct. Or so what's so behind so it. as we've become, I've done entire transactions mm-hmm. without meeting people. Wow. Where the entire deal wow was done. I closed a deal at the bottom of the ski hill in Lake Louise, and did the final sign back on my handheld. Right. Five years ago. <laughs> just. And never met them. No. I, I, because of geography. Yeah. That's highly unusual. Yeah. But um, what, what we do is we're, we're, we're emailing and, and texting and whatnot people, but in certain businesses, you still need to see people. Yes. Um, sales would be um, a classic example, which is if you're getting in uh, to talk to somebody, uh, there isn't anything like often the most valuable thing is seeing their visible reaction. Yeah. Are they interested in what you're saying? Or are they just looking at the checked in? Yeah. Right. It's why, Carson, as you know, I use, I, most of my meetings are on Zoom. Yeah. So they're, they're, we may not physically be in mm-hmm. the same location, but I can then see the person is engaged with me. I can see whether or not, and I can tell by the body language. Because to me, body language tells me a lot more than what you just talked about. Like, you can't see a person's mm-hmm. reaction through text or any of those things. Right. So... Uh, very interesting. So again, um, I really appreciate you being with us today. We've touched on so many points about the different generations and the leadership challenges mm-hmm. that each generation is facing. Yeah. And I think it's really, um, what would you say to business leaders now? What would you think would be the best advice you could give them now about how they lead their companies and what you would want to see them do differently or more of? Um. You've got me on something that's extremely important. Yeah. Once you have mapped out um, and 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 got received the buy-in from your organization, whether it's a medium-sized company or mm-hmm. a big company, then um, I think the most important thing is to back your people, even if things don't go that well, even if there could be problems, and that you. The company, the people that are working for you, know that you that they have your support. Yes. Um, when I, in corporate life, the um, and and it was I had many I had, uh, you know, as it turned out to be fifteen very good years uh, in in corporate life, and I learned a lot and met a lot of people. Is I I had a uh, I never could come to grips with people's changing positions. Um, because of the political winds or whatever, yeah. and actually, flip-flopping. and flip flopping on their own department. Yep. Because I'm they were seeing it all the time. Right, right. Yep. And and what? How, and then it's actually expecting loyalty. Yeah. And support from that person, they obviously are going to see who you are. Yes. If in fact you're only looking at managing your own career as you perceive that to be. Yeah. Much better to get the support of your people, and they will go the extra mile for you. 
mm-hmm. if they've got that uh, belief um, that you are, in fact, uh, with them. Yes. You're on their team. Yes. You're not just looking upward in the company. Yes. So that's a big business suggestion. Yeah, I love it. Uh, with a small business suggestion, um, you have to be hands-on. Um, and, 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 when, and that means um, there isn't the support departments. You might have 50 or 60 people. Everybody's rolling up their sleeves and getting it done. You have to do whatever has to do, mm-hmm. be done. Um, you don't need a title on your business card if you're the owner. Um, you need, don't be afraid to make sales calls, which most do. Yep. Don't be afraid to walk the plant floor. Yep. Um, and, uh, and in fact, the, that's the only way you'll get a feel for the pulse of your company. Yes. Not, not by being distant. Yeah. No, I love that. It's great advice for everyone. Yeah. And I think it's actually probably the cornerstone of being a good leader. Mm-hmm. Really, is being yeah. involved. And I don't know. Engaged. I don't know a successful entrepreneur. And I, we're talking people that have built multi-million dollar businesses mm-hmm. here. Yeah. In some cases, from scratch. Yeah. Um, who are looking at it as some sort of ivory tower, strategic, visionary yeah. consultant? They are not in business long if they no, do that. No. 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 I mean, that's uh, yeah. there's a there's lots of advisory uh, yeah. companies that do that kind of work and lots of brain power and good for them, but. The pragmatic uh, uh, entrepreneur, the men and women that have these companies are are enormously connected yes. with their own business yeah. and their own people. You are such a wealth of knowledge, and I'm really grateful to have you as uh, someone I can I can trust and, uh, and work with often on some of the projects that we've got going on. Yeah. Um, thank you again. Um, Carson is uh, the CEO and founder of Ringcroft Consulting, and uh, he does a lot of mergers and acquisitions. It helps companies really um, get bought and sold, really, is, is your job. Yeah, basically, right? we facilitate the divestiture of medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, M&A is the buzzword with mergers and acquisitions. I say I'm the D, and that mo- mostly what we do is a divestiture. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us today. A pleasure to be here, Christine. And that's it for this week's uh, Coach C's podcast on the Leadership Generation Challenge. See you next week.